yesterday for everybody who helped out with our Easter egg hunt work day. We had over 50 people of all ages fill over 5,000 eggs. That's impressive, right? <laughs> wait, wait, before you clap, what I think is even more miraculous is that we hit almost 300 homes and only 10 people did that. So wow. that's, Im that's impressive, let's clap for them. Those were brave souls right there to go door to door, so that's awesome. We still have three more needs, okay? So our first need is we do need help at the hunt. At nine o'clock on Saturday, our volunteers, we would like you to show up here, okay? We're gonna be hiding eggs, setting up, taking down after like five minutes. That's just how it goes. Lots of work for a little time, but we need help, okay? Nine o'clock if you're willing and able. The other thing we need is we need you to invite someone to the hunt. If you look next to you, you might have sat on it already. That is an invitation to our hunt on Saturday. So we really need you to do that. If, we have, if you're walking back and you see extra, will you please pick two up if you know of two people? But at least try to invite one person and be prayerful of them this week, if not starting right now, that they will be able to come, that their time is protected, that they can come, that you have the opportunity. Or if you need boldness, that you have the boldness to do that. Yes, that was our volunteers yesterday. The third thing we need, and this is most important, look at me. I see you're looking behind me, but everybody look at me. This is the most important. We need you to pray. We want this event to be covered in prayer. So start praying today if you haven't already, and pray every day this week. Obviously, we pray for great weather, okay? But that's, that's minor compared to the bottom line is we have souls, new souls walking through that door who may have never been to church before or who have been to church many times and just have forgotten how much Jesus loves them. And that is why we're doing what we're doing. Will you please pray for the people that will be at this hunt? I am very confident in you. I am very confident in our church because you are a group of people who love God, you love each other, you honor truth, and you definitely give grace. And this is a wonderful church for people outside our community to come and be a part of our family. I'm very confident of that. So we just need the boldness to do it, to invite them. So take ownership. Here it is. I'm giving it to you right now. Take ownership next week. If you're not volunteering, if you're coming with your family, meet someone new. Look them in the eye. Hi, my name is, what's your name? Hey, you want to come back tomorrow for Easter Sunday? Are you going anywhere? Because I can't do that. I'll stand up on stage and I'll invite them to come. But how much more meaningful is it when a personal invite from someone from that church, hey, come back tomorrow, okay? So again, we need you. Pray, pray, pray. Lastly, I'm going to end with this verse. It's from 1 Peter, and here's what it says. The end of all things is near. Jesus is coming back to us. That is exciting. He's coming back to them. Not yet, okay, not yet. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in all its various forms. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God gives, that God provides, so that in all things, God
God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Isn't that why we do what we do? That he is praised. To him be the glory. To him be the praise forever and ever. I want everybody to, to hold their hands like this because we're going to pray for, for the Easter egg hunt for Easter next week. And just hold your hands like this as a just begging God that, that this is not by our own power. This is not by um, anything that we can do, but we need him. And if he's not in it, then it's useless and it's pointless. And so we just want to bring the gospel to people. We want to love on people. And so just hold your hands like this and let's pray together. Our Father, we um, we just want to be humble before you. God, we, we thank you for this building. We thank you for these grounds um, that we can have an Easter egg hunt at, that we can come here and worship you together. Um, but Father, we, we want to see people come to salvation. And uh, I beg you that you <clears throat> would uh, bring the people here to the Easter egg hunt and to our Easter service next week that need to be here, that need the gospel, that are hurting, um, that are stuck in their sin, that need to be set free. And only you can do that. Only you can forgive. And so, God, we as a church, um, like Heather said, I'm so thankful for this church, um, the love and the grace that they have received, and so they give. And God, I pray for Heather for next week as she shares the gospel with people during our Easter egg hunt. And I, I just pray that you would give power to that, God. It's not about her. It's not about even us. It's about your glory and the gospel of Jesus Christ setting people and God, we can celebrate that. We can celebrate that. We can celebrate that. I pray that we would be joyful and happy people. God, next week, even in the midst of pain, we can celebrate your resurrection. Save people, God. Give us courage. In the midst of fear, we do it anyway. Give us courage to invite. Because it's not our power that saves people anyway. So we trust you and we believe. In Jesus' name we pray. All God's people said, amen. As we sing these next couple of songs, we're going to take the offering. If you're a visitor, feel free to let that pass. Now we're going to ask you guys to stand as we sing these next couple of songs. This song I really love because it, it seems like it's, it's something that we are able to bring to him that he makes so easy for us because he's so amazing. It should be easy to sing out to our God. And as we're thinking about Easter next Sunday and all these things that he's done for us, but the biggest thing that he defeated sin and death for us makes it easy to praise.
I have this hope as an anchor for my soul. Through every storm, I will hold to you. With endless love, all my fears swept away. In everything, I will trust in you. The Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. The perfect love of God our Father for us should cast out fear. There is hope in the promise of the cross. You gave everything to save the world you love. And this hope is an anchor for my soul. Our God will stand unshakable, unchanging one. You who was and is to come, your promise sure, you will not let go. Your name is higher. Your name is greater. All of my hope is in you. Your word unfailing, your promise unshaken, all of my hope is in you. There is hope in the promise of the cross. You gave everything to save the world you love, and this hope is an anchor for my soul. Our God will stand unshakable. God, we're here before you this morning, feeble people. God, we want to be, we need to be reminded of our need for a Savior. God, in my brokenness, I'm, I'm before you with a humble heart, and I just pray that over every person in the room, God. Just humility this morning, and celebration in that humility that says, I've got nothing to boast of except the name of Jesus. God, and that should excite us because there's nothing I can do to earn my salvation. There is hope in the promise of the cross. So we thank you this morning, God. We thank you, thank you, thank you that you found it fitting and it pleased you to send Jesus to the cross for me. I mean, this is incredible. This is insane. I would never do that with my son. But that shows how much you love me. Father, thank you for that hope. And all God's people said, amen. That's an exciting thing, so let's try it again. All God's people said, amen. amen. All right. I'm going to share a few stories for you. This is not to freak you out about public schools or anything like that. Um, but it's just to say that we have a very present and alive enemy, Right? Satan is the prince of the power of the air of this world right now. We have a very present and alive enemy. So first story, um, I was riding with my daughter Margot. Um, I have a question. Is it legal to allow her to ride in the front seat of my truck? I've just always been wondering. I don't know. You t I did it. So let's pray that I don't get pulled over for that. <clears throat> but she was sitting here, and it's one of, like, one of my favorite things to do is ride with her in the car because um, she just thinks I'm awesomer than I am. Um, and so she says to me, she says, Daddy, um, is Jesus, uh, Jesus still dying on the cross? I said, no, no, he's not. Um, and I thought, that's interesting. I said, no, he came back alive. Like, 
he died on a Friday, Margo, and he came back alive. And so she says, Wait, he's, like, he's alive right now? And I said, yeah, he's alive, and he lives in heaven with his father. And, and um, he said, well, Dad, she said, Dad, um, why doesn't Jesus just nail Satan to the cross? <laughs> I was like, oh, well, that would be pretty awesome. But Satan can't save us from our sins. And But someday, right, I said, someday, Margo, Jesus is going to win the final battle over Satan and throw him into hell. And she just, in Margot form, oh, that'll be good. I'm like, okay, that's, that's nice. The next story was a little more sobering for me. Uh, my son Judah come home from school one day, and he just innocently, the thing you need to know about Judah is his, he has like just a, a very um, big conscience, like, and he has to live by his conscience, right? And so when he hears a bad word, right, and he thinks it's bad, once he knows that that's a bad word, he needs to understand why this is a bad word so that he will never, ever, ever say it, right? <laughs> so he walks up to Heather, and right when he gets home, walks up to Heather, she's sitting down, I'm in the kitchen, and he goes, hey mom, what does F dot 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 mean? And he said the word! I was like, oh my goodness, so I'm like, he... I couldn't help it. Both Heather and I turned opposite directions and just started laughing. Because, I mean, to hear a kid say the F word is like, oh my goodness. So our, our laughter quickly needed to go from like, okay, first of all, this is sad because he heard that in kindergarten, right? And he heard it from a student, so that's, that's just sad. Secondly, I don't want him to think that this is actually funny. It just sounded funny to hear him say it, right? And so... Uh, now it's like, okay, he just asked what that word meant. This is like crisis moment for me. I don't know how to describe what that word means. So we essentially said, and Micaiah's sitting right there, and he's hearing this. And so we said, I said, essentially, you say that to people. We're never going to say that word in our house, first of all. And then you say that to people that you hate to essentially tell them to go to hell, Right? And Micaiah, without skipping a beat, well, I hate Satan, so F Satan. I'm like, oh, my goodness. Oh, man. <clears throat> and so at that point, my wife has the great idea to, and this was a good idea because it worked. So she gets out some cups from the thing. She pulls out some apple cider vinegar, puts a little bit in each of the things she's like we're all gonna drink this right and so me too I'm like I didn't say the word come on and so we're sitting there and me and Heather and our three oldest because um I don't know Ivy just doesn't understand this stuff and so we're sitting there around the thing and like Judah knows this stuff is nasty so he just starts crying right away he's like I didn't say it I just wanted to know what it meant so we needed to make a point so we call those words now vinegar words in our house. We're not allowed to. That goes in the vinegar uh, thing. So we all just put it in our mouth and spit it back out. And, um, but it's a funny story. But man, Satan is alive, isn't he? I mean, we can't help what our kids hear, right? I want to teach my kids. And this is for me too. I want to learn how to do this. Teach my kids how to live in a world where they're going to hear this stuff. How to live and spend time with people 
who are saying this stuff, right? I mean, half the people in this room probably say similar things on a daily basis, so we're not going to judge each other for it. But really, when I think about it, it's like, for my own life, do I want to avoid when Jesus spent most of his time with sinners, right? How could Jesus do that? How could Jesus spend time with sinners and not be affected by them? Yes, he was God. But he gave up a lot, most of his God attributes to be a man, and he was tempted in every way, right? So, for me, that says, I need to have an awesome alone time. Tim was talking about this a few weeks ago. If our alone time with Jesus is energizing and we're feeding the spirit and we're being strengthened in that time, then we can go hang out with people who are like that in the world because that's what Jesus did. And so if my heart is strengthened in my spirit because I'm strengthening it, I'm feeding the spirit and not the flesh, then I should be spending my time with these people. And this is, this is the season that we are in, okay? This is the Easter season. We're in this season. Two weeks ago, Mark did a great job teaching us about Jesus' interactions with Pilate. And here's the truth. Everyone on the planet needs to do something with Jesus Christ. We have to. We're called to it by the very nature that God created. And we don't have an excuse, right? That's a hard thing to think about. But we've got to do something with Jesus Christ. And we believe, if we, if we believe this is true, it should change everything about the way we act. We believe he is the Messiah, the Savior of the world. And he came to earth with a very specific mission to die, given to him by his Father. Mark talked about that. Am I, am I ever, if you're a father in the room, am I ever going to give my son as a sacrifice for anyone? No. But I need to understand this. That if I did, I would have to love the person so incredibly much that I was giving him up for, right? It's not that Jesus didn't wasn't loved by his father it just shows us how monumental and big and great and amazing and awesome the thing is we celebrate at Easter and that's the love of God for us right it's huge last week Alan reminded us of the mockery involved with the crucifixion of Jesus and Heather leads a, um, a kids club bible study about 10 to 15 neighborhood kids at our house on Tuesdays and it's amazing because some of those kids go uh, to Christian schools and they were sitting there and when she was reading about Jesus' mockery to them and how he was punched in the face and his, his beard was tore out and he was spit upon, I mean, you could see the anger building in some of these kids because they thought that Jesus just went to the cross, was nailed to the cross and eventually died and that was it. But often... We don't, we, we do often think about the physical anguish that Jesus went through. But here's what we don't think about often. The emotional anguish that Jesus went through, and we're going to talk about that soon here, was far, far, far worse. It was far worse. We're going to talk about that soon. This morning, the, uh, the title is going to be, It is Finished. 
It is finished. And um, I just want to give you an overall kind of view of what that looks like. There's, I learn a lot from my wife. And um, something that I learned recently from her through her Beth Moore study, again, this is a really good study, um, is that people, a lot of people, this is not a blanket for everybody, but a lot of people fit into a couple categories, shame-based or fear-based. And for me, I'm, the more I listened to her talk about what those two things were, I'm very fear-based. And fear-based, if you're fear-based, it drives you to worry. It drives you to control in your life. It drives you to need to um, make sure everything's okay. And so when I am failing to trust the Lord, what do I revert to? Fear. And fear drives me to do a lot of things that do not involve trusting the Lord and I make mistakes, right? But when Jesus on the cross said, it is finished, here's what he meant. Religion, which Jesus is not, he's not religious and neither am I and most people in the room. I would say don't be religious. Because what religion says is, in or- I need to be forgiven. I have a problem. I need to be forgiven. I need to seek eternal life. But how do I do that? I do. I do good things. And if I do good things, I'll be accepted by God. I'll be forgiven, right? That's religion. It is finished means that God sent Jesus. He died. And everything that was needed for your salvation, for my salvation, was done. Done. I don't think we understand what that word means, but it holds a lot of weight. Done, right? So, shame and fear in my life should be very short-lived, if I really believe that. I mean, yes, I'm going to sin. Yes, I'm going to mess up. And I will feel shame, and I will, will feel guilt, and I will feel fear. But those things should be short-lived in my life because of grace. Because grace says... That's not who you are, so get up and keep going because you're forgiven, right? So we, it's, not, it's not, we'll talk about that more later. I'm going to get ahead of myself. So I'm going to read. We got the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? They all experience the same stories, a lot of them, but they all write with different styles, and they all give a little bit different details, right? So I want you, in the next moment, you can't look any, you, you'd have to flip really fast to keep up with this. It's not going to be on the screen. I'm just going to read a compilation of the four Gospels of the account of Jesus' death. And so I just want you to listen to this and hear it and feel the emotion of it. And just, you can close your eyes, but just listen to this. And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. That was noon until three o'clock in the afternoon. And at the ninth hour, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And just real quick, Alan shared this with me this week, but often Jesus would take time away to spend time with his father. This was his renewal time. This was his worship time. This was his quiet time with his father to be with him. And every time Jesus addresses God the Father, he says Father or Abba Father. That's like Daddy. That's, there's this close oneness relationship. And then on the cross right now, he, he yells out, my God, 
my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, he is feeling the weight of the fact that your sin and my sin was taken off of us and laid on his shoulders. And because God Almighty is a just God and a loving God, a lot of times we focus on his love, but we forget about his justice. And because of his justice, he had to. Get this, he had to. If he didn't, he wouldn't have been God anymore. He had to turn his back on his son. And so is, there's this distance now that Jesus is understanding the weight of the sin of the world is on me. And I don't, and this, in these moments, I don't have the right to call him father. So he calls him, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said, to fulfill scripture, and this is from Psalm 69, he said, I thirst. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a hyssop branch, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come and take him down. When Jesus had received the wine, he said, It is finished. Then he bowed his head and called out in a loud voice. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. It was finished, and he says, my father again. I think that's amazing. And having said this, he breathed his last. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. I think a lot of times we just read over that. Here's the deal. This curtain was so thick that no man on earth could rip it. It was a thick curtain, and in that moment, just because it was finished, the curtain that separated the common places in the temple from the Holy of Holies, the very presence of God on earth, where a priest would have to go in once a year for the nation of Israel to sacrifice for sins, that was torn. And all of a sudden, for us today, right now, every single one is in the presence of God the Father. Because that was open. It was open. And so now in our cars, when we leave this place, when we pray for our meals, when we, every moment we can be in the presence of God the Father. This is a huge deal. This is the power that comes for life today. That's a big deal. Without that, I, I'm still in my sin and I'm lost. I mean, what? this is amazing. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were open and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now when the centurion saw this, this is the centurion that nailed him to the cross, it was there, when he saw what had taken place he praised God saying certainly this man was innocent. Truly, this man was the Son of God. And all the crowds that had assembled for this spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, returned home beating their breasts. There were also women looking on from a distance who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him. Among them were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. And since it was the day of preparation, so that the bodies would not remain on the cross for the Sabbath, for the Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first 
and the other one who had been crucified with Jesus. But when they came to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. They did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth. That you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture may be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. Now there was a man named Joseph from the Jewish town of Arimathea. He was a member of the council, a good and righteous man who had not consented to their decision and action. And he was looking for the kingdom of God. This man took courage and went to Pilate secretly for fear of the Jews and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he had already died and offered the corpse to Joseph. And Joseph brought a linen shroud and taking him, wrapped him in the linen shroud and laid him in a tomb that had been cut out of the rock and he rolled the stone against the entrance of the tomb. It is finished, right? John 19 30, that's where that came from. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished, and bowed his head and gave up his spirit. So we've got to answer that question. Right? If it is finished, some, some um, translations say it is accomplished. Right? If it is accomplished, the question is what was accomplished on the cross? All right? The first thing we need to know is that Jesus' death in no way is independent from the resurrection. Right? Because if Jesus stayed dead, he's dead. He didn't defeat death, right? So it's not independent of the resurrection. He'd come back next week and we're going to celebrate the resurrection. Right? But when he was on the cross, he finished. And I want to talk about three things. See, this, this Sunday is actually Palm Sunday, right? But Tim spoke about that when we were going through it chronologically in the book of Mark a long time ago. So this is really like our Good Friday service, right? Because on Friday, Jesus died. Three days later, in the morning of Sunday, he rose again, right? So this is like our Good Friday service. But I want to talk about, if you remember four things, remember it is finished, right? And then remember these three things. Because if you remember these three things, hopefully you remember the content that goes with them. And hopefully throughout the week, it'll change the way you think about the way you live, right? So here are the three things. What was finished? Number one... Our redemption. Number two, our adoption. And number three, our eternal life. Our redemption, our adoption, our eternal life. Because first, we have a problem. There's sin. We were redeemed. We were bought back into rightness with God because that needed to happen. And that's the first level of relationship. We were bought back into rightness with God. And because we were now right with God, Right? We were given the right to become children of God. We're going to talk about what that means. It's, it's incredible. Because we were bought back, made right with God, and became children of God, in oneness with God, in the same family as God, we now are able to live eternally with God. Right? We're given physical, after death, eternal life with God the Father in heaven and with Jesus right so number 1 our redemption just listen this the scripture is going to be on the on the screen so you can watch that but i need to take you on a journey here genesis 2:17 
But the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. This is God to Adam and Eve in the beginning. For in the day you eat of it, you will surely die. Right? And then what they do? They chose. They ate of it. Genesis 3.22. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, knowing good and evil. Now, lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. So a lot of times we blame God for, for death, right? A lot of people blame God for death. But I want you to see it from the other side. How absolutely gracious it was of God to all of humanity to have death in his justice be one of the penalties. I'm talking physical death. Be one of the penalties of sin in the world. God put a cherubim with a flaming arrow in front of the tree of life. Because Adam and Eve had just sinned and brought sin into the world. Had they been able to take and eat of the tree of life, they would have lived forever and sin along with it. Did we see how gracious it was of God to cause death to be one of the consequences of sin. Sin has to die, right? And you don't get sick, because, maybe not because of your own sin, but because sin exists in the world. And that was gracious of God. Romans 5.12, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sinned. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I've said this before, and I think it's foolish and ignorant for me to say it. But when I get to heaven, I'm going to have uh, words with Adam. Dude, one command. There was a whole lot of other fruit, and you gave in to that. Truth is, I would have messed it up eventually anyway, right? One of the things that we often say, Heather and I say, I mean to each other, but to our kids a lot, you hear this phrase in our house, no blaming. No blaming, right? So what happened? God told Adam and Eve, don't eat of this tree. What did they do? They ate, and then God comes to Adam, and he says, where are you? Right? And Adam says, I hid because I was naked. I was ashamed because I was naked, so I hid from you. I heard you walking in the garden. And then God says, who told you you were naked? Did you eat from the tree, Judah asked me the other day, he said, God, I mean, Dad, not God, Dad, so you're telling me that before Adam and Eve sinned, everyone just walked around, they walked around naked? He was like, what would I do at school to go to the bathroom? I'm like, whatever. It was, And then what did Adam say? The woman, every man in the room said that before, the woman you put here, put here with me gave me the fruit, right? And what did Eve say? The serpent lied to me. He made me, right? We, we do it. We can't blame. Take responsibility. If the above verses are true, then we've got a problem. And whether you're a Jesus follower in the room today or whether you're not, We've got to be reminded of the fact that I need a Savior, right? Even if you are a Jesus follower, you've got to be reminded regularly that I need a Savior. 
Because otherwise, what do we fall into? We fall into distrust. We fall into sin. We need to be reminded that we need a Savior. That's why at the end of this message, we're going to take communion. Because one thing Jesus said was, as often as you do this, he gave us the bread and the juice. He said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And the second thing is, remember a month ago or, or so, we talked about the fact that when Jesus offered the cup, he said, this is a new covenant in my blood poured out for you. And what he was saying when he offered them that cup was essentially, will you marry me, right? And at that moment, and at the moment, every time we take communion, we can look at that and say, I have a choice now. Do I take the cup? If I take the cup, what am I saying? I am committed to you, Jesus, for life. I'm committed to you for life. And every time we do it, we're reminded of that commitment, right? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20. You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify your God in, in your body. In that context, it was talking about sexual actions, but it applies to all of the Christian life, right? You were bought back into rightness with God, so it only makes sense that you live what you are. You are right with God. You don't have to earn that rightness. You can't. But now how do I want to live? I want to live how God wants me to live. Number two, I'm going to race through all this because I'm just long-winded. Number two, our adoption. John 1, 11 through 13, he came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who received him, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Remember in John 3, he tells Nicodemus, he says, you got to be born again. Nicodemus is like, what? I can't, I'm an old man. I can't go back into my mom's stomach and be born again, right? He said, like, not physically. You're, you need to be born spiritually, right? Galatians 4, 4 through 7. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born of the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons and daughters, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now we get to cry the same thing that Jesus cried. Because of his death, we say, Abba, Father, Daddy. There's now this oneness in family that we get with him. Francis Chan tells this story of they adopted a teenage son or daughter. I don't really remember, but for this story we'll say it was a daughter. I think it was a daughter. And he says, for the first time she heard these words from a father. I love you as much as I love my own children. And everything that I have is yours. The truth about us is that before we were born again, we were without a father spiritually. And so to hear God the Father say that to us, that should rock our worlds. Listen, God the Father is saying to you, if you're a Jesus follower, I love you as much as I love my son Jesus. Everything that I have is yours. Number three, our eternal life. Romans 5, 18 through 21. Therefore, as one trespass led to the condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. 
Now the law came to increase the trespass, which just means the law shows us where we're wrong. It proved to us that we were sinners. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does eternal life look like for us now? Because we know that if you're a Jesus follower, you're going to die. And then you're going to stand before Jesus and live eternally physically with him, right? But from the moment that you come to Jesus for salvation, eternal life spiritually starts. What does that look like? It goes on in Romans, the beginning of chapter 6. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? It's like, hey, if I sin, if I like do whatever I want, and if I go on sinning, God will just give me more grace. Don't I want more grace? So if I, the way to get more grace is to sin more so that God gives me more grace, and that's a good thing. By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? That just doesn't make sense. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of God the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. The Bible says, I've been made a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And so I no longer live my life to earn anything because I can't. It is finished. It is finished. It is finished. Right? So when Jesus died on the cross, our souls were bought back into rightness with God. That was our redemption. Because we were now in rightness with God, we were given the right to become children of God. And now everything that God has is ours. I think of my kids, how much I love them. That is the moment that unconditional love happens. Right? That's another level of relationship with God. If I am his son, I know that no matter what I do, he's going to love me. Right? That's how I love my kids. And if you don't have a good relationship with your earthly father, this is perfect. Because he's adopted you, literally adopted you. And because we are now children of God, we get eternal life to live with him. In the movie Savior Private Ryan, raise your hand if you've seen it. Okay, I was going to show this clip, but it's kind of gruesome. Um, Tom Hanks' character, I don't know what his name is, but is given a mission to go save Private Ryan, right? In the end of the movie, the war is pretty much over, but Tom Hanks' character has been shot, and he's leaning against a, a, a car, and Private Ryan comes up to him, and he motions to him. He says, come here. He says, James, earn this. Earn this. And so now, for the rest of his life, James Ryan lives with a felt obligation to earn what he has been given. And if he doesn't earn it, what does he feel in the end of his life? Despair. 
here's what freedom says this morning, right? After this, we're going to watch a video, and then the band is going to play. And when the band starts playing, we're going to take communion. Remember, this is Jesus saying, will you marry me? Are, are you committed to me? This is the life I want you to live. This is what freedom says. The law, the only way to earn salvation by the law is to keep it perfectly, which none of us have done. So to be free from the law is to be free from everything that failure to follow it brings. We're free from guilt. We're free from shame. Now free to get back up and live the way God wants us to. Do we understand the difference? We've been bought back in our redemption. We've been adopted into oneness in God's family. And now we have eternal life with him. So watch this video and then we're going to take communion after. What if I told you Jesus came to abolish religion? What if I told you voting Republican really wasn't his mission? What if I told you Republican doesn't automatically mean Christian and just because you call some people blind doesn't automatically give you vision? I mean, if religion is so great, why has it started so many wars? Why does it build huge churches but fails to feed the poor? Tell single moms God doesn't love them if they've ever had a divorce, but in the Old Testament, God actually calls religious people whores. Religion might preach grace, but another thing they practice, tend to ridicule God's people, they did it to John the Baptist. They can't fix their problems, and so they just mask it, not realizing religion's like spraying perfume on a casket. See, the problem with religion is it never gets to the core. It's just behavior modification, like a long list of chores. Like, let's dress up the outside, make it look nice and neat, but it's funny, that's what they used to do to mummies while the corpse rots underneath. Now I ain't judging, I'm just saying, quit putting on a fake look. Because there's a problem if people only know that you're a Christian by your Facebook. I mean, in every other aspect of life, you know that logic's unworthy. It's like saying you play for the Lakers just because you bought a jersey. See, this was me too, but no one seemed to be on to me. Acting like a church kid while addicted to pornography. See, on Sunday I'd go to church, but Saturday getting faded, acting if I was simply created to just have sex and get wasted. See, I spent my whole life building this facade of neatness, but now that I know Jesus, I boast in my weakness. Because if grace is water, then the church should be an ocean. It's not a museum for good people, it's a hospital for the broken, which means I don't have to hide my failure, I don't have to hide my sin. Because it doesn't depend on me, it depends on Him. See, because when I was God's enemy, and certainly not a fan, He looked down and said, I want that man which is why Jesus hated religion and for it he called them fools. Don't you see so much better than just following some rules? Now let me clarify, I love the church, I love the Bible, and yes, I believe in sin, but if Jesus came to your church, would they actually let him in? See, remember he was called a glutton and a drunkard by religious men, but the Son of God never supports self-righteousness, not now, not then. Now back to the point, one thing is vital to mention, how Jesus and religion are on opposite spectrums. See, one's the work of God, but one's a man-made invention. See, one is the cure, but the other's the infection. See, because religion says do, Jesus says done. Religion says slave, Jesus says son. Religion puts you in bondage, while Jesus sets you free. Religion makes you blind, but Jesus makes you see. 
And that's why religion and Jesus are two different clans. Religion is man searching for God. Christianity is God searching for man, which is why salvation is freely mine and forgiveness is my own. Not based on my merits, but Jesus' obedience alone. Because he took the crown of thorns and the blood dripped down his face. He took what we all deserve. I guess that's why you call it grace. And while being murdered, he yelled, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Because when he was dangling on that cross, he was thinking of you. And he absorbed all your sin and he buried it in the tomb, which is why I'm kneeling at the cross saying, come on, there's room. So for religion, no, I hate it. In fact, I literally resent it. Because when Jesus said, it is finished, I believe he meant it. If you want to know an act of obedience to this morning, just let that be your life. First of all, you need to acknowledge your sin to Jesus, your need for a Savior. Lead other people to do that. Receive grace and give grace. First Corinthians, Paul tells the Corinthian church, he says, if he did not raise, then we are to be pitied above all men, which essentially means there's so much more to the story. So you got to come back next week, first of all, right? Not just to come to church, but we, we need to celebrate the resurrection because if he was not raised from the dead, then everything we believe and everything that we do, everything that we preach is null and void and worth nothing. So we got to celebrate, right, that he rose from the dead because there's power in that. We're not left alone. He rose from the dead. He ascended to his Father in heaven, and then he sent us his Spirit to give us power to raise our hands with arms high and heart abandoned, right? And how do we do that? Be in love with Jesus and lead other people to be in love with Jesus. God, we just love you. We are humbled by your majesty. And we boast in the name of Jesus Christ because it's nothing that I did. It's everything that you finished. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Be bold in the spirit of God this week. And we uh, will see you next week. Thanks for coming.